Psalm 118. We read it earlier, and we're going to pick up where we left off earlier in verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. I will give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Father, we thank you for the redemption that we have through your Son. We thank you that as we cry out, save us, you do. You have saved us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, your glorious Son, the treasure of heaven, the jewel of our lives, the bishop over our souls, the good shepherd who watches over his flock. We thank you that we can come to you in his name. We thank you that we can enter in the house of the Lord by his blood. We thank you that because of the glory of Christ, your light shines upon us. And we thank you that we do not have to bind sacrifices to the altar anymore because it's been done once and for all when your son died there to redeem us. And now you are our God and we are your people and we give you thanks and we praise you and we exalt you because you are good and your love endures forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, in just a moment here, my friend Vince Oliveri is going to come up. I've known Vince since he was a wee lad. Uh, started dating a girl at my home church that we all loved. And uh, he did not end up marrying her, but he, he married a girl that was just as great in the end. But, uh, you know, these high school romances don't always work out. But we were all like, who is this guy, you know, dating this girl that we all care about? And uh, he ended up, um, it was just this, this Catholic boy we heard about, and he ended up uh, becoming a, a believer and getting baptized in that church and playing in the praise band, and we, we watched him grow up. And he has accomplished so much already, uh, married a great woman, and uh, they have two children together and three children together. He has corrected me. I apologize, Vince. Three children together. And Vince has already, um, he is coming to talk to you about King's Cross Church that he is planting in Blacksburg. So if you are, if Virginia Tech is near and dear to your heart in any ways, uh, in any way at all, I'm sure that uh, you'll love hearing what he has to say. But um, this is the second church he's been a part of planting. Uh, already has planted a church in Pulaski uh, with Pulaski North Star. And so uh, I'm excited for him to be able to speak to you uh, because uh, he has come before back when I was student pastor here and he preached to our students. I remember then being blown away just by how much he had grown uh, as a preacher and just as a Christian and I'm sure that we'll see the same this morning. So uh, without any further ado, uh, Seaford, give a warm welcome to Vince Oliveri. Well, good morning. We, uh, we just had number three, baby number three, one month ago, so it's fresh, very fresh. Yeah, my wife, Kara, uh, is, is quite a legend. Uh, she's, she's right at home with the kids right now, and, and my uh, mother-in-law is with her. She wishes she could be here, but understandably, we just had a baby about one month ago, so she's just hanging tight. Um, so we have a, a 
four-year-old named Zoe, a two-and-a-half-year-old named Theo, and now a little, a little one named Bo. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a joy to be here. Like Michael said, uh, I met him a while ago. My side of the story is actually very similar to his side of the story, which was I went, the first time I ever heard the gospel preached, it, I, it was Michael. It was Pastor Michael preaching the gospel. And I thought, this whole thing is very weird. Like, the church, people want to be here. Uh, like, people believe this stuff. There's about God and about sin, and it was just all very strange to me and, and frankly, kind of troubling to me because I'd grown up in sort of a nominally Catholic home. We didn't talk about Jesus much. We didn't go to church much. Like, uh, like, like Michael had mentioned, we, we grew up in this sort of culturally Catholic home. Started dating this girl. She started inviting me to this stuff. I started hearing the gospel, and I started thinking, wait, is this stuff, is this real? Is this message actually real? Well, fast forward just even a few weeks after I first hear the gospel from Pastor Michael, and he's speaking again at, at, a, at a youth uh, vacation Bible, Bible school sort of thing. And I still remember the text he preached on. He preached about Stephen's martyrdom. And I remember sitting there, somebody who did not know Jesus, and thinking about this person standing up for the glory of Christ, and seeing that, that, that Christ is standing even in the, he- in the heavens in response to this. And I remember thinking, like, where do I stand in relation to this Jesus? I think I stand against him. And I remember hearing, even as we prayed at the end of that sermon, feeling like this weight. I'm the only person here that doesn't believe this, and what does this mean for my soul? Just the next night, we go to this conference and I, the guy gives the invitation. I don't remember anything that he said during the sermon. I, it might not have even been a very good sermon, this, this, this kind of evangelist guy. Don't remember much. But I responded. I ran back to the tent. The guy said, do you want to, Christ, do you want to pray with? And I said, I don't, I don't know how to pray. You pray for me. And it was just a whirlwind. And I remember standing in my living room by myself that night. I'm a 15-year-old standing in my living room thinking, what on earth is going on? What is all this stuff that I've been hearing? And in that moment, the gospel landed. God came to me. And, 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 and with crystal clarity, I realized I was a sinner. And I had sinned against God. But God is rich in mercy. And I don't think I had the words for this. But I knew Jesus loved me. Jesus had died for me. And this is the phrase I remember thinking. It's almost as if a word came from outside. I remember thinking this, and this was, this was the Lord telling me this, that everything is going to change. And everything did change. My life completely changed. And so fast forward many, many years, I now have a sweet wife. We now have three little ones. There was a, there's a very, there's a stretch, Zoe just turned four. There's a stretch where it's three, three and under until a few weeks ago. We said, we have three kids, three and under. Our lives are, are very full. Um, now she's four, so we have three, four and under. It sounds a little bit less wild. And the Lord's called us back to Blacksburg. We both went to Virginia Tech. Uh, my wife's actually from Blacksburg. Her family's still there. Her parents, two brothers, a sister-in-law, grandparents there. And so in some sense, it's amazing. We had to go back to a place love, a community that we love, in the mountains that we love, 
to be around people that we care deeply about. But the reason we're going back to Blacksburg is not just to be around family. The reason we're going back is much bigger than that. A few months ago, I was, I was sitting, we just moved back. I'm on my back porch. Uh, my daughter, who's four, who's very, um, she just knows, she's, as a, she's a teen going on, on 20, I think. She's, she's, she knows what she wants. She has clear ideas. She's very motherly and compassionate and tender, but she also acts like such an adult, basically. She acts like a little adult, and it's amazing. So she says, Dad, let's have a conversation. I'm like, okay. She, and she's like, we should, we, should, we should have on the back porch. Like, okay, so we go to the back porch. We sit in these big, big red Adirondack chairs. Her feet don't even reach the end of it. And she says, uh, Daddy, I want to be a church planter. I think we should, I, I, I want to be a church planter. And I thought, wow. Like, in some sense, you kind of are, we're all church planters. The whole team, we're all planning a church. So you kind of are a church planter. You don't get all this stuff yet, but you're on the team. But I asked her, I said, why, why do you think we plant churches? And she said this, she said, because of the gospel of God, which I don't know if she understands even any of what that means, but I do think that was a profound moment for me. Why do we plant churches? Because of the gospel of God. I was like, Zoe, you're brilliant. Yes, wow, you get it. That's right. That is why we plant churches. And so why are we planting a church in Blacksburg, Virginia? Because of the gospel of God. News of the kingdom that God's kingdom has come in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, for the redemption of our lives, for the reconciliation of a new people called the church, for the renewal of all things, because of the gospel of God. And there's a great gospel need in Blacksburg. There are healthy, rich, gospel-centered churches there, but there is lostness there. There's a huge gospel need. 65%, 64.5% of people in Blacksburg and Montgomery County identify as religious nuns. N-O-N-E-S, uh, nuns, not N-U-N-S. Nuns as in we're not religious, not like we're nuns. Um, Non-religious. And only 16.5 identify as evangelical Christians or, or people who believe the gospel, and, and go to a church that's centered around the gospel of Jesus. That, that's a pretty stark number. And even more so in, in a place like Blacksburg, where there's just a constant rotation of people. The nations are coming in, and lost people who are searching for life, and hope, and goodness, and purpose, the kinds of things that only God can ultimately bring us. There's a great gospel need. There's a great hospitality need, I think. There's a need for, God, for people to be welcomed in to the family of God, into the, the very place of God's people, to experience life together, to experience joy, to experience purpose, to experience ultimately Christ. And there's a great, I think, missional need. Many people come in and many people go out. We believe that while there are many good churches there, there's a need for, an, for more churches to be planted, who would not only share the gospel and demonstrate the gospel, not only welcome people from, from every tribe, nation, and tongue because the nations are in Blacksburg, but also a people who will train and equip and send people out to realize that, that they are missionaries, that their lives do matter and, and can be lived on purpose for the kingdom of Jesus. And so we 
believe God's calling us to be missionaries. And not just me, not just my wife, but our whole team. We believe God is calling us to be missionaries, a community, a family of servant missionaries together in Blacksburg and for Blacksburg. And here's the reality. All of that's true for you guys as well. That's true for Seaford. That's true for your community. There's a great gospel need here. There's a great hospitality need here. There are lonely, hurting people. There are people who are far from God. There are people who, who don't realize they're far from God, who are far from God, who live right next to you, who live with you, who you work with, who you drive past, who God loves. And God is calling you to engage with the gospel. There's great need here. And so, so this morning, I want to talk about mission. I want to talk about how do we live as missionaries? How do you? Well, you might think, I'm not a missionary. I am an engineer. You know, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm a parent. I work, I, I'm busy. I'm not a missionary. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I do this sort of thing. I don't, but I don't have the skills for that. I don't have the personality for that. I'm not a missionary. I don't, I'm not one of those people that lives across the world. I live right here. I perhaps even grew up here. I want to make the case, not only that you are a missionary, because if you are in Christ, you're a new creation, you're an ambassador for the kingdom, you're a minister of reconciliation. But I also want to make the case for how do you do that? How do we do that? According to what God has to say to us in his word, how do we begin start living, to start living as missionaries? Not just kind of through program and event, though catalytic but just through ordinary relationships. How do we live the life of missionaries. So, to, to engage that question, let's go to Matthew 9. We're going to be Matthew 9, the end of Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And I want to talk about five, and I want this to even be practical for you. I want this to be Jesus-centered and gospel-oriented, but practical. Five practices of missional living. Five practices of, of a missional life. The first few we see Jesus himself, the missionary God practicing, and then we see Jesus calling his disciples and ultimately us to be practicing these as well. And I'll go ahead and just, I'll, I'll share them with you right now. These five practices, five practices of, of missional living. Seeing, caring, trusting, praying, and going. Seeing, you need to see people. Caring, missions in 2021 and going forward is going to require care for actual people in actual life. Trusting, we still need to trust that God is the one who's in the business of doing this kind of thing. If you are in Christ, that is a miracle. God does not just take good, bad people and make them good. He takes dead people and raises them to life. He takes what is old and he makes it new. And so we need to trust in the power and the presence and the promise of God. For we need to pray. We need to pray earnestly. And fifth, we need to go. Let me read Matthew 9 for us. Matthew 9, verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so the first practice of missional living is seeing. And he saw the crowds. We could easily move right past that phrase, and he saw them. Jesus practices the ministry of seeing. Think about John 4. He goes to the woman at the well, the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. He could have gone around her town, which would have been custom and standard practice, but he goes right through it. And he comes to her on the outskirts of town, and he sees her with eyes of love, eyes of knowledge. He sees her perhaps in a way no one, and I think anyone, had ever seen her before, and it changed everything. John 9, Jesus sees. This is the first phrase in John 9, he sees the man born blind. He sees him. That whole thing, that whole story starts because Jesus first sees this man. And because he sees him, he's able to transform this man so that he could see Jesus and see all things by Jesus. Jesus sees people. So, as we follow King Jesus on mission, let's first see people. Let's, let's cultivate the ministry of seeing people. We look at all sorts of stuff. We look at our phones. We look at media. We look at other people. We look at, if you just, you couldn't even take stock of the amount of things you have looked at in only the last hour. We see a lot of things. And then there's those things that we keep going back to things that you look at a lot. And it's not always the case, but it might be the case that what we see reveals what we love, that the attention of our eyes reveal the affection of our hearts, the things that we keep going back to looking at. And on the other side, the things that we overlook, the things that we walk right past without caring, says something, I think, about our loves. What is it that you might be overlooking? Or who is it that you might be overlooking that Jesus stops and sees? I think it's important for you to know this morning that Jesus does see you. He sees you. And he sees you as one who has gone to the cross for you. He sees you. But he also sees your neighbors. And so we want to be people who see and see in a gospel way. See through the lens of the gospel, which, which I think means a couple things. He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw their value, that they're sheep. They were meant to belong to, to the good shepherd. He sees their value. We should see, you should see your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your enemies. That's people made in the image of God. People who are, who are sheep. Meant to belong to God's people and ultimately to God. We should see people's great value but also their need, that there's great need. 
And our greatest need is not mainly intellectual. It can't be fixed by a class or a book. It's not mainly social. It can't be fixed with, with a, a new organization. It's not primarily uh, circumstantial. It can't be fixed with a change of scenery. It's not even primarily moral. It can't be fixed with some good rules and some good following of those rules. There's a deep spiritual need that people have, and it's this. It's shepherdlessness. We're sheep. And we have all gone our own way, every single one of us. Our heart disposition, apart from the grace of God breaking in and transforming us, is this. My kingdom come, my will be done, not thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are experts at building the kingdom of self, going our own way. We're sheep who need a shepherd. And so let's see people as who they really are. Sheep. The Lord would call you to, to, to reach, to share the gospel with. Not only does Jesus see, practice too, seeing and then caring. Not only does he see the crowds, but he has compassion for them. He has compassion for them. Our God is a compassionate God. Our God is rich in mercy. He is abounding. He is overflowing lavishly with grace and mercy. Think about the ministry of Jesus, the perfect embodiment of, of the character. This is the Son of God incarnate. And he's the one who goes, right, he, Lazarus, his friend, dies in John 11, and he intentionally delay, delays four days for the glory of God. And then he shows up. And Martha says to him, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then Mary comes to him and says the exact same thing, word for word. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And what does he do? He weeps. Jesus weeps. He weeps because his friend has died, perhaps, because death filled the world. He weeps because he sees people he loves grieving. He weeps because of the unbelief of the people. They don't see him for who he really is. They don't trust him. And he weeps. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. He says, Lazarus, come out. He's a compassionate God. And so we as his people need to also practice the ministry of caring. And I hope this feels very simple to you. Like the kinds of things that any single person filled with the Spirit of God could do, you can see people. You can care for people. I heard it once, and I think this is especially true during a pandemic. But at any point, just living in a broken world. Somebody told me everyone in any given room is mourning something. Is mourning something. And if not now, recently or soon, mourning something. If not the loss of a loved one, the loss of health, the loss of, of a shattered dream. And, 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 and I, I believe that that's probably the case for this room, that this is a room full of mourning, that we're mourning different things. That is true of Steve, that is true of your community, that's true of the whole 757, that's true of Virginia, that's true of Blacksburg, that's true of the world. We are a world full of sheep who are shepherdless and we're harassed and helpless. 
sometimes by our, our own doing and sometimes by product of the brokenness of our world. And everyone's mourning something. And Psalm 72 verse 14 says, And precious is their blood in God's eyes. Precious is the blood of your neighbors in God's eyes. Precious is your blood in God's eyes. And if we could see this through the gospel, your blood is so precious to God. Your neighbor's blood is so precious to God that God the Son shed his blood for you. Shed his blood for them. Let's care for people. Let's care for people because we are people of the compassionate God. And there are many ways that that can look. You guys can do that corporately and individually. This is something to labor in prayer about. How might the Lord, with your wiring and your gifting and your circumstances and your capacities, how would he call you to see and care for people? And who is he calling you to care for? Care is missional. It is not peripheral. Our king came and healed and died for people. Third, in addition to seeing people, in addition to caring for people, we need to trust. We need to trust the Lord. He says this to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. That's a promise. If Jesus says that, that is true. And if that was true then, it is certainly true now. That is true in your context. That is true in, in my context. The harvest is plentiful. Uh, let, let me just say, we need to be people to take God at his word, that, which, that trust that promise, that the harvest is plentiful. We, we believe all of the promises of God are true and find their yes and amen in Christ. We believe this promise is true that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And I think we can just honestly say, what a, what a generous, life-giving, magnanimous, hopeful picture of our communities. He's not saying, hey, there's bad guys out there, go try to win them over. He's not saying there's people to add to the list of numbers. He's saying the harvest is plentiful. So Jesus would think about your coworkers. And even those people working you know, at the grocery store, the drive-thru, plentiful. Which I think should make us think a couple things. One, it means God, it should remind us that God can do anything. Our God, who takes a few fish and a little bit of bread and multiplies it for thousands of people, is the one who can do who can do the impossible? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Should make us think, first, the harvest is plentiful. If, if something's going to happen, God's going to have to do it. And it should make us think, wow, we should labor. He needs us to labor. He's calling us to labor. And you might be thinking, I want you to think of that one person in your life who you think there's no way. Think of that one person right now or those people that you think, there's no way. I've had three conversations this week with people that you would think, there is no way. There's no way they'd believe in the gospel. I talked to a guy this week from the United Arab Emirates who grew up Muslim, has no understanding of the gospel, and seems so, so foreign to that. The harp is plentiful. 
And you know what I believe? I, I trust the Lord. I trust that the Lord can change any heart. No one is too far gone. Even, even at my time at Virginia Tech, I, I lived with a, a, a guy who, who I, uh, I loved uh, very deeply, and he, my roommate, uh, I, I showed up, and he was hungover when I showed up. I showed up at like 1 p.m. maybe, and he was hungover, and uh, I was like, this is going to be an interesting experience. And it was, and, and, and I got to share Jesus with him, and he, like me, kind of grew up nominally Catholic. And just fast forward a couple of years ago, I shared the gospel with him a number of times. I remember sh- going to a cookout, like the, the, the fast food restaurant, a cookout at like midnight, because that's when you go to cookout in a college town. You go kind of in the middle of the night. And I remember going there and seeing this guy. He's like, man, I, I have like a very vibrant faith. Like I'm involved in this, 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 this uh, Catholic campus ministry in like a really rich and vibrant way. Like I'm, I'm also involved in this other sort of ministry and I'm like really interested in the God. And I remember thinking, wow, God's doing a lot of things in this guy's life. I haven't been praying for him. I, I haven't kept up with him. He's doing this almost in spite of my lack of engagement with him. And I was struck by this reality. The harvest is plentiful. So friends, this is plentiful. The laborers are few. So right, the next thing he's going to say is, go labor, right? The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Get to work. No, not yet. He's about to say that, but not just yet. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. The fourth practice, the fourth missional practice we see in this text is prayer. May we be people who pray and pray earnestly, like someone who comes knocking on somebody's door in the middle of the night and will not stop knocking, like we see in the parable of Jesus, and I think in, in maybe Luke 18. This woman who just knocks at the door. He's saying, pray like that. When you need something, come knock on God's door, as it were, in the middle of the night, day and night. Be people who, who are accustomed even maybe physically, to actually being on our knees praying for the lost. I do not think we will see a significant missional movement in our lives, in our small groups, in our churches, if we do not pray. God can do anything. He could do it even in spite of our prayerlessness. But I have a hard time imagining that God would really use us in those ways without prayer. But I can imagine that if we would actually humble ourselves in prayer, earnestly, realizing that prayer fundamentally reorients our heart, reminds us, I can't do this alone. It is only by the power of God. Prayer reminds us that everything I have comes from him. Prayer reminds me that he is the missionary God. I am just participating in his glorious, gracious mission. And I want to say this, there are people, I think, in this room, likely in this room, people who are going to war right now on behalf of the kingdom of God, in the most hidden, unseen way. There are people I imagine in this room who we might call prayer warriors who've cultivated this hidden life of prayer where you have diligently committed to praying for your family and your perhaps even the nations and the lost. May we all be like them. I do think one day we will see the, just the glory of that faithfulness. The recognition isn't 
seen now, but one day it will be. May we be like those people. May we be people who, who pray earnestly. And then fourth, let me, and fifth, let me say this. As we pray earnestly to the Lord, don't be surprised when God answers your prayers, your prayers for engaging the lost people in your life, don't be surprised when God answers your prayers with you. This is what I mean by that. Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers. Very next verse. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Names them, verse 5, then these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep. Just see that this, there's no cha- this is one coherent, connected text. The lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. The same people he said pray that the Lord would send out laborers are the same people that he sends out as laborers. So friends, let's be people who pray. God, send people to Richmond. Send people to D.C. Send people to Blacksburg. Send people to the nations. But most importantly, I'd say just right now for many of you, send people to my workplace, to my family, to my street. And then with open hands, say yes as the Lord calls you to go on mission. The fifth practice is go. As you're already going throughout the rhythms of your life, go on mission. There will be times where it's not in the course of your normal rhythms of life. Perhaps you need to break some of those rhythms. Perhaps you even need to displace yourself and be in places of greater lostness. You can do that by the power of the Spirit. He can do that through you. Let me encourage you guys, friends. He's calling you to be missionaries, to go. And the nature of your going looks a lot like his going. It's it's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It's saying, Jesus can change hearts and lives. He changed mine. And it's actually engaging people's real needs. That they might see Christ and encounter Christ. Friends, my, my prayer is this. Here's my big prayer for you guys. My prayer is that the Lord would use you, your witness, your words, your actions, your presence, your care, to welcome people into the kingdom of Jesus. God can do that. There are people in your lives who think there's no way that the Lord could use your words could use your actions and could transform somebody's heart, could reconcile somebody back to to God himself. And it is my prayer that he would use you to do that. So pray for us as we go on mission in Blacksburg. But also go on mission yourself, right where you are. Let me pray for us that we would do that. Father, Thank you for this church. 
this embassy of the kingdom, this band of brothers and sisters in Jesus who are called by your name for your glory, for the good of their community to live on mission. Help us to be people like Jesus who see others. Help us to be people who care for others, who feel their needs and engage them in love. Help us to be people who trust all of your promises that ultimately culminate in Jesus Christ. Help us to be people who pray, who realize that we can't do this without you. Help us to pray. And then help us to go. Call us out. Send us out. Lord, bring particular things to people's hearts this morning where they might think, I need to do this. I need to pray. I need to give. I need to go. I need to, I need to welcome people into my home. I need to cut some stuff out of my schedule so I can do this. I need to rest and trust in the, in the goodness, the nearness of of Jesus as I do this. And Father, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our hearts, our lives, our community, and on earth as it is in heaven. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.